So uh, once again, happy Mother's Day to all the moms, and I'm just very encouraged to be here to uh, preach the word. You know, um, I want to look at Proverbs 31:25 right now uh, to honor our mothers, because you know, um, I don't, I can't say anything that's been already that hasn't been said about mothers, but. Uh, I know if uh, your mother's anything like mine uh, was, is that they, they will do anything to meet your needs. And uh, they never stop loving you, even when you have gray hair yourself. My mother's in Phoenix, and she's my best friend. She comforts me still and gives me words of encouragement. I watch my wife the way she is, Sonia, the way she is with our children. I learn every day. And uh, I know a lot of the husbands, most husbands feel that way. We watch our wives the way uh, they are with our children. I ask my wife a lot of times what she thinks about my son or my daughter or how I, how I should approach it because there's just a, you know, something God has put in a mother. They carry uh, all of us in their womb uh, until, until we're full term, nine months. I mean, there's got to be something special going on in there. So let's look at um, Proverbs 31:25. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. A mother, a wife, cares ab about the spirit and the vibe in the home. Uh, idleness isn't even a concept. She uh, sets the, you know, there's such a thing as living in a house, but, but, but our wives and our mothers make, our, make, the, make the house a home. And it doesn't have anything to do with the size, the furniture, or the, uh, the zip code. It, it's the love. And uh, it is incredible. Uh, and those of you who may have lost your mother, uh, now, uh, I hope that you've been able to grieve or are still grieving, but then you can hold those valuable memories of how dearly she did love you. Um, so I want to just talk about, uh, obviously we're going to look at God's Word, but I thought we could kind of parallel uh, the mother of Jesus, Mary. And uh, she was just a human being, just like any of us and just like any other young lady would be, and then she became a mother and a wife. So I want to, first of all, let's turn to 1 Kings uh, chapter 16. Excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 16. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 16. And uh, let's read together this. In verse 16... It says here, now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, pardon me, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone, and there was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast 
and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours. The living is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead, while one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. And he gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the baby, the living baby, to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. And I know this scripture most of the time is read to show the wisdom that Solomon had been given by, by God to him and how he would be able to pray. And we do need to do that. And James it talks about if anybody lacks wisdom, he should pray. And God will give generously without fault. Because if you really want to do God's will, and that's what Solomon was doing, and who would want to make this decision? But what I really want to focus on now is really the title of the lesson. A mother's love is second to none. A mother's love is second to none. And why I say this story is that uh, here's two women, and we know the story. One of the women rolls over and kills her baby, but takes the other baby and lies. And when he gets down to it, Solomon says, bring me a sword. Well, God did give him wisdom because God knows that a true mother's love for their child is second to none. God had given that wisdom to Solomon because, because Solomon wasn't prepared to use that sword. He believed that the true love that a mother really has for her child will be exposed to the point where the woman would rather not have the child back if that's what it took to keep the child alive. The mother would be selfless. Very painful decision, but she would do anything to save her baby. And that's how we see this beautiful, incredible exposure of love when she sees that the baby's going, she's right, she's 100% telling the truth, it's her child, and yet when there's no other option, she says no. Uh, uh, she says here, uh, please, my Lord, give the living baby to her because it, it, herself is out of it if that's what it takes. And that really exposes what a, a, the love, the ultimate love of a mother is. They would rather go without or lose their own life if it meant helping their, their child. And this is an incredible demonstration of a true mother. 
Um, so let's now turn to Luke chapter 1, and let's look at Mary. Uh, and Luke 1, 38. In Luke chapter 1, verse 38, we read, um, and actually, let's just pick it up uh, together uh, in verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin, which is a logical question. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Mary responds in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Here we see Mary's heart that we know that God just didn't come down and say, you know, you're highly favored for any reason. He said uh, in verse 30, but he says it a couple times, but in verse 30 he says, you have found favor with God. You're highly favored, highly esteemed. Why? Well, if you look at other places where God says that about people or God's angel says that, is that that means they were devoutly righteous and really understood the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So she was of Jewish faith, and she was a woman that God could see her heart, that she strived to walk in the light and be righteous before God. So God chose her because of her walk with her. Now, she's not perfect, but God looks at our hearts. But you got to look at her answer here. Her answer is very powerful. Verse 37, by the way, is an incredible scripture that you should memorize. For no word from God will ever fail. That's pretty easy to memorize. Think how powerful that is. That's a fact. You understand and read your Bible and continue to trust in God's word and hold it more valuable to you than anything else. It will never let you down if you have faith. But look, look how she responds. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. She said, whatever it takes. Now, do you understand what she disagreed to? She agreed to having a baby. Uh, she agreed to not naming it. I mean, how many mothers would be upset or husbands in, or, you know, married couple, they're having a baby and they don't get to name it. I mean, that's part of the fun, right? She didn't get to name the baby and she didn't even get to have the baby the way a loving married couple would. And then she had to take a lot of persecution and heat and even 
God's mercy because it was so hard to understand and really reason that even an angel showed up to her uh, uh, fiance, Joseph, and showed himself because Joseph still had a great heart, even though he didn't understand it and he was going to divorce her quietly, which means he didn't want to make a ruckus. He didn't want her to get hurt or stoned or killed. So, uh, but he still couldn't handle this fact. That's why when I always say that if, if you really think you're going through something that's too hard to handle, if an angel hasn't showed up yet, then it's not that unusual. You're facing burdens and challenges that God knows you can through faith, his word, and prayer. So we see here that she's accepted and made a decision without consulting her fiance, and it's going to affect a lot of people. But we see her heart starts off that she's already the Lord's servant. Let's look at um, um, Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And, uh, you know, the title of the lesson is, uh, A Mother's Love is Second to None. And I would say that uh, that is very true. Um, so let's look at uh, Acts chapter 2, I mean Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Luke 2, 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was sitting, uh, he was waiting for the uh, consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There's a lot here. I want you to see that Simeon was a righteous and devout man of God. It says that. The Bible always says that. God will never uh, do anything uh, with his spirit or whatnot if to give you glory or work in a way that others can see it if you're not righteous and blameless. He, he'll work on the people that are lost, but he'll have them come to a knowledge of the truth. And we see that Simon, uh, Simeon, excuse me, sees this, and, he, and we see that the Spirit reveals it to him that he would not die until he sees the Lord's Messiah. Well, we know later on that uh, in Acts 2, Verse 36, when Peter preaches really the first Christian sermon because Jesus had died and raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, he tells all the God-fearing Jews that were still alive saying, God has made this Jesus both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to 
Peter, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The promise is for you, your children, and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted the message, repent and be baptized, uh, were baptized. And 3,000 were added to the number that day. Those were Jews that were still alive, and they, they had to repent and believe that Jesus was the Messiah. The Jewish people that died before Jesus could die on the cross and raise from the dead, they died in their faith, just like the faith in the waters of baptism saved them because they died believing in the blood of Jesus, but they were in the Old Covenant. So he sees this incredible miracle, and he's excited, and then he, then he makes some comments and talks about that... Uh, uh, his eyes have seen salvation, and he can now, uh, God, he says, God, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. Let me ask you something. When you're right with God, not from your opinion or your emotions, and you know daily that you need grace and you're saved by grace, but you are humble to the word of God because the word of God will never fail, you're at peace, and you're going to even be at peace when you're on your deathbed. But you're at peace before any danger happens, and you've understood what it takes to make peace with God. And that's an incredible sovereignty that God gives you. Nothing can uh, compete with that. He says, I've seen the salvation. And then we see as we go down that he also prophesies that, and he says straight to Mary, Jesus' mother, who's going to be the mother, the child is destined to cause a lot of trouble. There's going to be falling and rising of many. There's going to be some challenges going on. And a sign that will be spoken against. And the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he says, write to her, a sword will pierce your own soul too. That's pretty powerful. What, what, is, what is he saying? A sword piercing your own soul. The word too, T. OO indicates that Mary as well as Jesus would suffer deep anguish. And this is the first reference to Christ's suffering and death. Because even though the she's not even the baby hasn't even been born, he's already telling her there's going to be some serious suffering with this task that God's called you to do. Wow. So let's look at um uh, verse, let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. Uh, what, is, what does that mean when he tells Mary that you're going to have a baby uh, and you're going to be serving God? And Mary says, I'm your servant, I'll do whatever it takes. But then he's even, you know, then she's even told it's going to cause some serious pain. A sword piercing your soul? I mean, I don't think there's a better uh, verbiage or way to express great suffering. And let's just see uh, in Hebrews 5 what Jesus talks about in learning from suffering in verse 7. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Though a son he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, 
He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So we see that Jesus had to be reverently submissive to God Almighty's call for him. But he had to willingly do it. And that's why we see that during the days of Jesus' life, his whole life had prayers weaved in, in, in his life because it wasn't like it's a good thing to have prayer time. No, prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears is what helped him continue to work through painful things in his life, work through continuing to be faithful and strong in the will of God. He, he needed to learn obedience from what he suffered, and that even shows who Mary was. Mary was reverently submissive to what God had said through the angel. She didn't argue or be defensive. She just asked a simple question of like, how is this going to happen? But I'm all in. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but uh, if any woman was told you're going to be pregnant and you're going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and that's all she got, that's, uh, that takes great faith and, and surrender. So we see that Mary's love for God was first because before the angel came, not only was she a loving mother, but before that, before she had any children, we could see that her devotion to God was highly favored. And that's really what it takes to really be, have the ultimate love that Jesus requires, that he died for is all of us, to understand God's love and then imitate God's love and understand Jesus' sacrifice and understand that we need to learn to sacrifice also as we learn to love because really the ultimate demonstrations of love takes great sacrifice. That's why a mother is such a great example because she sacrifices for her children. So do fathers and so do all of us are capable of that. But the ultimate giving your life for someone, uh, you can't have a, a greater sacrifice. So we see Mary was going to have during the days of her life, she's going to have to learn to pray and continue to pray with petitions and cries and work through things as she continues to be reverently submission, submissive. That's not natural. She has to pray to get there. We're going to see her journey here and see, see how she deals with things because she had to learn obedience as well from what she suffered. Because if Jesus did, then you got to understand you're going to have to learn obedience from suffering, meaning do what's right and obey God's word even when you don't understand. So now let's look at, let's look through a little bit of Mary's life. So let's look at Mark 3, verse 20. And uh, Mark 3, verse 20. So we're going to jump forward uh, about 30 years. So she's had the baby. Jesus was born. There's a, a references when the baby was born. And then there's like one more reference when he was 12 in the temple. And then we don't really hear much about Jesus being raised and growing up and the times between uh, him becoming a man, but he was, you know, uh, Mary was his mother, God Almighty was his father, and Joseph, the carpenter, was his stepfather. And Mary and Joseph went on to have other children. Jesus had brothers and sisters, um, but she was a virgin 
when the angel appeared to her to really carry Jesus in her womb. Um, but let's look at Mark 3.20. Because time can do things to us in a good way and sometimes in a confusing way. So she raises Jesus, and I'm sure she was a loving, devout mother. We know that um, she was looked at and probably criticized so many different ways, looked at probably like a, a, a harlot, probably uh, people probably looked at her with frowns, uh, and then she had to raise Jesus, this normal child, but still in her mind realized what the angel said. But as time goes on, you know, we can have great things, but we can have great miracles happen to us. And if we don't stay focused on God and be devout in prayer and faith, great things that God has done for us, we can actually get to a point where we can be struggling. And here we see a time where I think Jesus is causing his mother and his brothers to be concerned for him. And it says here in verse 20, then Jesus entered the house and again, a crowd gathered. And so that he had, wasn't even able to eat. And then in verse 21, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said he's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said he's possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So let's just stop right there. We see that his family heard this, that he was just being extreme in their eyes. And while Jesus still held up the Jewish law, the old covenant, we see that the teachers of the law came down as well. And his family even says, oh, we got to take charge for him. And they actually, it actually says in the Bible in verse 21 that they think he's out of his mind. He's going extreme. And the teachers back that up saying he is, uh, he's possessed by, by Satan. Uh, he, 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 he's by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons which doesn't make sense. But because of his great faith and zeal and fervor for God Almighty, it actually challenged the Jewish teachers of the law on where they at. And I think it made them threatened and insecure and even jealous and envious. But they influenced his mother, obviously, to come down and take charge of him. So let's continue to read. Let's drop down to verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother, sister, and mother. And now you just think about this. His mother and brothers asked someone to go inside and tell Jesus that his mom and his brothers are out there. And he instead tells the person to go back out and tell them that who is his family? Who is his mother and brothers? And he says, those in the room that were with Jesus, following Jesus, is his family. That had to hurt Mary, his mother. And his brothers probably hurt and ticked off. It seems disrespectful, and it also seemed uh, like, why wouldn't he go out and talk to her? Well, we know Jesus doesn't do anything on purpose that would be vindictive or mean, but he had to make a statement here, even to his own mother. Because 
Sentimentality and emotions can get very strong, especially when it's with family. And he made a statement that probably cut her heart and made her stop and think. But Jesus said, this is the way it is. Those who love God and do God's will first are my family. And it wasn't that he was disowning his mother, but his allegiance was going to be to God and people that are like-minded with God. And it doesn't mean you stop loving your family or anybody else, but it does mean that there's going to be priorities in your life when God calls you to obey him. And even if it puts God above your family, you're going to do that. And sometimes people won't understand and their feelings will get hurt. And while you try to explain to them, they still might not understand. We see the Jewish teachers were saying that Jesus was, was possessed by a devil. I mean, come on, that doesn't even make any sense. So let's look at this and think about this. Um, a mother's love is second to none. But, but everyone's love for God must be first, above all. So point number one is God's love must be above all. And we see that's what Jesus is doing right now. Even though he's grateful and respectful of his mother, the, the commandment in the Old Testament, Ten Commandments, honor thy mother and father, never changes. But it doesn't mean that he's not going to speak the truth. And it doesn't mean that even though he doesn't intentionally want to hurt his mother, he's going, he may hurt her. Because to take a stand for God and show the way of life comes before People can get hurt, and you you can't compromise your convictions because you don't want someone to be hurt. You're not hurting them. They're being hurt the way they're responding to the truth. Let's keep looking. Let's look at uh, uh, Proverbs 14, 12. Proverbs 14, 12. And in Proverbs 14, 12, it says, There is a way that appears right. But in the end, it leads to death. So here the Bible says in many other places that we can be deceived. Because if something seems right, I'm going to do it. This is right. I, I'm not going to question this. This is right. I believe this is right. But the Bible says in the end, it can lead to death. Because, And this isn't just saying, you know, why wouldn't this be able to fit us? So a lot of times we read stuff like this and we, we think, oh, that's true, but that won't happen to me. you got to put yourself and be able to be humble enough to put yourself before every scripture. I know this can be me. There's a way that seems right to Chris, but in the end, it leads to death. I've actually learned by unfortunately making mistakes. I've learned in suffering to obey God, and when I obey God and hold the truth, and that even means repenting of sin and coming back and, and staying strong, repenting of sin, uh, I know what the truth is. But can you say that? Can you say you possibly, no matter how much your feelings and in your heart you say you love God, are you obeying God's word with all your heart because that's what Jesus says he looks at love if you love me you will obey my teachings if you don't love me you will not obey my teachings not just the ones that kind of make sense to you the ones that that are hard for you to do you need to pray and suffer and be obedient through them and that's what he's really saying let's look at um mark 13:53 Excuse me, Matthew 13, 53. Matthew 13, 53. 
And in verse 53, it says, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there, coming to his hometown. He began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get the wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? When then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles because of their lack of faith. So here's Jesus back in his hometown uh, and he's teaching and he's preaching and the people that didn't know Jesus were amazed. They were amazed at what he was doing. And that's where I think the, the saying familiarity breeds contempt comes from. If you're around people and you're close to people and they see you all sides of you and they see you, you're not, uh, you can become uh, not as great as they thought you were, even though Jesus never sinned. But that's what happened. And that's why they started minimizing me. And this is the carpenter's son. And this is the little kid that, that grew up in that, you know, that little town with the, ran around with all, why, why would we think he's God? Uh, and is, isn't his mother named Mary? We see her. We see her brothers and sisters. And they took offense. And he says a prophet is without honor except in his own town. And that's what happens, guys. When you become a true Christian and really live the way the Bible teaches a disciple is, you may think you're really excited and you found things and you need to be sharing your faith, but don't get discouraged when you go back and share with maybe people that you've known all your life, friends or family, and then they uh, they aren't they don't take it that well, or they don't even really seem interested, or they even are looking at you like you went crazy. That is normal. You just need to focus on pleasing God. You have nothing to do with that except just be a man or woman of God and pray and love, and that that is all you can do. And if people really want the truth, they'll they'll eventually get around to asking questions. Let's look at um, 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. It says here, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For a time will come when people will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Uh, this has happened. This has already happened. It happened back then. It's happened now. The Bible says that, you know, you're going to be judged. I'm going to be judged by the word of God. And, and he says, preach the word. That's why you need to continue to be devoted to God and his church to hear the word preached and also read the word and have times with God every day because it says here that you need to be able to be humble and it says preach the word in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage. How many people are willing to be corrected or encouraged? You know how many people uh, that aren't willing to be corrected or encouraged but still will defend themselves and fight 
and argue and say they're right with God even when they can't justify by the scriptures because even subconsciously they may they they, they think they're, they're they're evaluating their behavior and no one's good we don't earn salvation but honestly sometimes us religious people we can just think we may not never say that or agree with them but we act like we're something when we're nothing the whole real issue is to be humble to the word of God and teachable. So if you haven't been obedient and submissive to God's word in everything, well, you either respond and change and obey or you stay defensive and offended. And that matches up a lot to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were angry and defiant against Jesus. That's not the way to go. And what it says here is that they want people to go along with them. And the minute someone disagrees, they get angry. And that's why they want a great number of teachers, people that know the Bible somewhat, but don't really have the heart of Jesus to teach it fully and live it out. And they want a great number so they can make sure they're with the majority and they feel like that must be right. But they don't want the sound doctrine, the whole Bible, the whole way of life, the whole way that Jesus says to live and it's to live for him no longer yourselves and that's why they want to be around enough people who have the Bible and God but they don't want the full truth even though they wouldn't say that the Bible says that but that's what's happening they're being deceived they're getting around enough huge places with crosses and Jesus preached in the Bible in it but it doesn't mean that it's being correctly taught and you have to answer your own question on that. Are you humble? Are you correctable? Are you able to be rebuked? Rebuked is a stern correction. I've been all those. And if the Bible is correct, then I'm going to be grateful someone shows me. It takes prayer. I was never naturally a humble man, and I still have to fight to be humble. But I'm telling you right now, are you someone that can be corrected if you thought you were right with God all your life and you grew up in a church? And now you've been showed the word specifically and you're arguing and justifying and you know in your heart of hearts you're not living it out because you just cannot actually admit that you're wrong. It's too hard and there's too much at stake and there's too many people that you know that went to the, the, the church and grew up the way you thought and it's just it's, it's really just pride. You need to repent of your pride if your life hasn't matched up to the way Jesus defines as a disciple lives. Um, let's look at um, let's look at John nineteen twenty three. So so here we see that Mary, the mother, is confused, thinks he's uh, crazy, uh, needs to take charge of him. Probably is influenced by the religious leaders and the rabbis. And she's she at this point we're going wow. She doesn't look like she's really with him at this point. She's concerned, cares, but she actually thinks he's out of his mind. Let's just put it that way. That's what they said. And then. Uh, Matthew, uh, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Look at uh, Luke eleven twenty four. Luke eleven twenty four. In Luke eleven twenty four, it says, "When an in Jesus is saying it this year, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it." Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. 
Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. The final condition of the person is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave birth, gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Very interesting because here Jesus is teaching a very powerful principle that when you get right with God and you find favor and you're living right with God and you're walking with God, you need to keep faithful and stay faithful. You can't get dormant, idle, or lethargic. You need to continue to to pray and obey. You need to continue to strive to go deeper in your faith and say, God, I'm your servant. What's next? And that's not easy in your flesh. And it says if you don't do that, then uh, once, even if, you, if you're saved, if you become lukewarm or, or don't obey, you're going you're gonna to be like a house that was swept clean, but because you don't fill it with godly instruction from the word and faith, the devil fills it and takes seven more spirits, wicked than itself, and they go in there and live there. And the final condition of the of you of the person is worse than they were at first. Once saved, always saved is not a truth. God knows before the creation of the world who he called. But you know what? When you die at peace saved, then you'll know you're one of those people. But to, don't be banking on things. Live it out. Show God. And I'm not saying you're not going to go through hard times as a Christian. And I'm not going to say that you're not going to have great times that you sin maybe even walk away. But if God really knows it's you, you're going to come to your senses and come back. And some of you need to come back. Some of you have walked away from God and you know you're not living right and you're still trying to justify and rationalize it. Get honest with yourself. Get honest with the Bible. Come to your senses because while you're still alive, the blood of Christ and Jesus wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. But this woman at the end screams out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. I mean, what is that? Where does that come from? It's completely out of place. Because she has great value on Mary who raised Jesus. And she is trying to throw out credit. And it's not like Jesus isn't, wouldn't say his mother is not amazing. But he says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God obey it. What's he doing? Jesus is deflecting any kind of division or any way for people to start uh, not really keeping the greatest commandment where it needs to be. And that is God Almighty must be loved with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So he says, it's not like he's saying, but he just says, I'm not going to go there. Amen. I'm grateful for my mother, but that's not going to minimize what the greatest commandment is. And then as, as tradition goes, and because some false doctrine has happened, and there's actually people to this day who, 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 who worship Mary and, and pray to Mary, which is absolutely not in the Bible. God, God says that no one can come to me except through my son. So you're not to pray to anyone except to God, and you thank and you close your prayer, and you say, I pray all these things through your son, Jesus Christ, because you're acknowledging that it's because of Jesus dying on the cross, forgiving you, God forgave you for the sins, that you have access to the Father. It doesn't take away from Mary. She was highly esteemed, an amazing example of a woman who persevered and continued to obey God. 
But as we come in for a landing here, I want to tell you something. Jesus, even though Mary carried him as a baby and gave birth to him as the son of God, Mary had to be humble enough to know that Jesus had to die for her to be saved. Grasp that if you're Mary. That's incredible humility. She could say, man, I took a lot of heat. There's no one else that was called to this task. No. See, when you're really humble, you're an unworthy servant that's only done your duty. Jesus says that's to be commendable. Don't get entitled. Don't start thinking anything, but just it's an honor to serve God. And that's what Mary did. She says, I'm a servant. And Jesus, she needed to raise Jesus as her own, love Jesus, watch him grow up as a man, and then go off and preach, and then struggle with their own convictions and really go, is this really God? And get back with it and stay there. And then watch him be beaten and brutalized and tortured and die. And then realize it had to happen for her too. Let's look at that. Let's look at, um, let's look at uh, John 12, 45. And why I'm bringing this up on Mother's Day is absolutely your mothers need to be honored, but I need to ask a question here. Why is it sometimes that the people that we love the most and are the closest to us and the people who have done the most for us and sacrificed, why is it sometimes when we understand the truth or we study the Bible and we realize that we were wrong and that may even fall into what you were raised as, that the Bible is, that what you learn in the Bible actually teaches contradictory to what maybe you were taught to believe in church. Why are we so afraid to actually bring it up to the closest loved ones in our lives? You think that's the ones you want to tell the most because you don't want to hurt their feelings or let them down or you're afraid it's going to cause conflict. All those things may happen. But think about this. Why won't you? It's the people that are the closest to us that sometimes we allow to affect us to not follow through and follow the truth all the way because they may be offended or they, they are holding on to religion all their life that they thought was right and now you tell them the truth and they are now responding in a negative way and it's not comfortable. Verse 45 says, the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Uh, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. He, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I've spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me uh, to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So here we see Jesus making it very clear that he came to save the world, but there is a judge, and that's God. And he says, the one who rejects God, Jesus' words. You may believe in Jesus and accept Jesus, but unless you believe the whole biblical Jesus and strive to obey and grow and change and serve and never tire of continuing to uh, want to learn more, then you have not accepted his words. And that's where it says, there is the judge who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I spoke in Jim on the last day. That means that you are never 
going to stop learning and growing and aspiring to learn obedience through suffering. That's what God calls us to do. And he's patient and loving with us. Let's look at John 19, 23, because Mary had to really struggle. She thought Jesus was crazy with her brothers. And even his brothers said, why don't you move on, man? I'm glad you're fired up what you're doing. But, you know, why don't you leave and go to the people who like what you're doing and leave us alone? They, were, they didn't want him around. They didn't want, maybe they didn't want the persecution. They didn't want to be associated with them back at that time. And, and that, that had to be challenging. Jesus said he could hardly do any miracles in his hometown. Because even though he was God, he won't force himself. That would be discouraging. I know for me, when I first became a Christian and went home, I remember back to where I went, my hometown, I, I realized a lot of my friends I grew up with all my life, I thought I was going back, I thought, man, they're going to be so blown away that I found this. They're going to be so fired up that I actually, I can't believe I didn't, I never found this. They're going to be blown away. And most of them didn't even make an attempt to, to sit down and study the Bible. And I'm not judging them, it just shocked me. I thought, wow, because when I finally saw it, I was like, why didn't anybody ever show this to me? And then I realized, if your eyes can be open, Jesus says, blessed are you who can see what you see and hear what you hear for many kings have longed to see. And that means that you have been blessed to be able to see the truth in a world where most still don't. And it's not to say you're better, just be super grateful and try to be available to help people as you were helped. Uh, so we see in chapter 19, verse 23, it says here, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. Uh, this, this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's now tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and, the and cast lots for my garment. This is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. You know, you know what's really blow away about this is you see that Jesus, even though he would not compromise the truth, his mother was followed all the way through. And she had to wrestle in battle and thought he was out of his mind. But we see her at the cross weeping and understanding as a mother probably hurting for a physical son, but also having to grasp and cope and understanding what Gabriel told her. This is the son of God who's going to die and her, she's going to suffer too, seeing this in two ways. That was the greatest call. She had to be a mother like a mother is to their own child and then understand that she had to understand that the plan was for him to die and she would be attached in both ways, but also have to make sure she understands that this is God. Jesus sacrificed for her sin as well, because all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Mary needed to be forgiven because the Bible says in Romans 3.23, all, all sin and fall short, so she would too. And we see that Jesus cared very much about her, but this is the most interesting point. Jesus' brothers and sisters were still alive. And he said, 
for his mother to go with a non-blood relative. Most people would think that, why would they do that? Because Jesus was more concerned about his mother's spiritual direction than her physical safety and needs. Because they were alive. Why did he say, now I want you, and this was John, Apostle John, I want you to take my mother and make her your mother. And then he said to his mother, I want you to treat John as your son. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. He could, why didn't, where were his brothers and sisters? We don't know right now, but they did come around later. But Jesus was more concerned with what he said in Mark 3 when Mary and his brothers were sitting outside. Hey, your mother and your brothers are outside. They want to talk to you. They think you're out of your mind. He goes, who is my mother and my brothers and my sisters? Those who follow the word of God and obey the word of God, that's my family. So he was, he, Jesus literally, and, I, and who knows what kind of havoc. Yeah, imagine if you're, somebody died and you were still the son or daughter and the person said, I want my mother to live with non-blood relatives and not be with you. That's intense. But you got to understand, Jesus was more concerned about her spiritual welfare. Jesus is more concerned about you and I loving God, even if that takes uh, standing up to family and anyone uh, that disagrees with us and be open and humble, but you cannot compromise because you're afraid to hurt their feelings. That you have, that's not your right. That's not your side of the street. But John took her in. And then let's, let's look at Acts chapter 1 um, in verse 12. Acts chapter 1 and verse 12, Jesus dies on the cross. He raises from the dead. And then these apostles are told to go into the city by Jesus and wait for what he promised. And let's see who's here. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, the Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the, to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Wow and with his brothers. Do you see that Jesus would not compromise? And there was a time where they said, leave here, you're embarrassing us. And we, then we, then his mother went another time and said, we're worried about you, Jesus. I know you're the son of God and you're preaching, but you're a little fanatical here, a little extreme for us. Can't you just tone it down a little bit? You're drawing attention. He didn't, he kept going. Didn't mean he didn't love him, but he's not going to change. He can't be responsible for people's emotions if he's going to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. But because of his convictions and his hardline stance, his mother and brothers came around. We know this because there was only, look in verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Wow. 120. Everybody was scattered. It was not safe to be a follower of Jesus back then. It was not popular. But they pushed through and understood that conviction and suffering is part of the way of cross, but it is rewarding and it means salvation. 
And they knew that Jesus was more than a family member. Jesus was the son of the living God, the Christ. So I want you to see here that here we see Mary, the mother of God, and the brothers are with the disciples taking a stand. And then we can close out in Acts 2, 36, and we see here uh, uh, Jesus ushered in the kingdom through Peter. He, put, he had the keys, and Peter speaks in verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, and all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who were uh, accepted his message were baptized about 3,000 rather than number that day. And now we see that even though Mary's love for her son and her children was second to none, but it was second to God's because she loved God with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that's why God came down and chose her. And that's the way we need to be. We need to make our love for God second to none. Jesus says in Luke 14, 25, Anyone who does not hate his mother, his father, his brothers and sisters, his wife, his children, even his own life, cannot be my disciple. And then he goes in verse 33, anyone who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Why does he bring up family members? Because he knows these are the people we care the most about, but we know they can affect us in making decisions, and it can become very emotional. And we don't want to let them down or disappoint them. Traditions that have been believed as truth, when they're smashed and exposed by the Bible, it can cause a lot of pain and suffering and emotion because people have to have faith to see it. If you become a true disciple, I tell people, you're going to be a better son, a better husband, a better wife, a better daughter, better mother, better father because you're going to be aspiring to treat people like God wants you to treat them, but you won't compromise. And you may damage, not you won't, but your decisions may hurt relationships. You can't control that. You will be loving, but you must go and ask yourself, are your convictions real? Is your faith strong enough to take a stand against anyone because it's the truth, not in a mean way, but are you movable? Are you able to compromise the truth because of somebody that's really close to you disagrees with the truth? I hope not. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And let's celebrate our mothers because no matter what your mother uh, has done, I know every mother has tried their best. And you know what? It's not easy to be a mother. So give your mother honor today, but make sure you give God the honor of honor and strive to love God and you'll be the best human being you can be to God be the glory. Amen.